0: Good news here. Bon appetit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your very word. Give us your Holy Spirit now that we would understand it and bring us into contact with the living Christ, crucified and resurrected, who greets us with grace. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit even now to find Sabbath rest in you on this Lord's day. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> should you Sabbath? That's the question for us here this morning. And if you ask the person on the street, hey, should you take a Sabbath? Maybe the average person in our culture would say, ah, I don't know, that sounds like old religious practice i I'm not sure that really fits me right now, so probably not. No, I should not keep the Sabbath." But here's a story for you. Some of you might know that when I was in college, for my junior year, my third year in college, I did an exchange semester in Edinburgh, Scotland, in the old country. And I wasn't planning on doing this really when I got there, but the studies were great, connecting with Scottish students, that was great. I also threw myself in to a local Free Church of Scotland congregation over those four months. The Free Church of Scotland is one of those OG Presbyterian congregations and churches so that as it was in Scottish Presbyterianism back in the 1600s, so it is today in the Free Church of Scotland. If you head over there, you would notice like, hey, there are a lot of grays and blacks that are being worn by everybody. You'd go in and you would just be struck by the solemnity of everything. I would say that you wouldn't have much of of an impression of the praise band either way at the Free Church of Scotland because there's not any. There is not even an organ or a piano player. It is a cappella, Scottish metrical psalm singing only, and so on. The Scottish Presbyterian experience, and they are hardcore, the word in churches like that is Sabbatarians, hardcore Sabbath keepers. And they don't force anybody to keep the Sabbath in those contexts, but they do invite people. And I was like, when in Scotland, do as the Scots do, I will keep Sabbath for all of these months. So I entered into the Sabbath rhythm, which over there looked like this. The Sabbath actually starts, the Christian Sabbath, on Saturday evening at sundown. It's okay to socialize, but just understand that as you socialize on Saturday night, you're doing so with an eye to the Super Bowl every weekend, on Sunday morning when you worship God together. And after church, I don't know if there was a formal program in place. You know, it's not up to me to know how churches work. Who understands any of that stuff anyway? But there were all of these church families that would open their homes for lunch. And I never went without a Sunday dinner after that morning service in all of my four months. There were always a couple of 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 seats left open for students, and it's like, hey, where are you going to, I would actually have competing invitations, Jim, come with us, like, but what are you serving, and then over here, like, hey, what's your dinner going to be, so like a long, leisurely Sunday dinner in the middle of the day, no TV, no internet for that day, but you can take a long walk, Scotland, Edinburgh has tons of great hiking trails, and then maybe a nap in the late afternoon, then evening worship to cap off the Sunday, and then you start the week. This was a radically different rhythm for me. And the pinch point, obviously, was no studying during the Sabbath for me as a hyper-competitive college student, very, very different. Up until that point, I was a typical college student where classes end on a Friday afternoon, and then for the rest of Friday and Saturday, I'm carbo-loading in multiple ways, but then starting Sunday afternoon, that's when I start caffeine-loading, because he got to cram and study for the week ahead, no studying at all on Sunday. And they were very serious about this, the Sabbatarian keeping church. I was taken to task midway through the semester one time when went to church, got the lunch invite, said I'll be there, but I was a little bit late, and then I was asked, ah, Jim, why were you a little bit late? And I should say, I admit my Scottish accent, is horrible, but you're not going to stop me from using it. I'm going to keep going with my Scottish accent right now. Jim, why were you late? I was like, well, I had to return a book to the library on my way over. It was one of those 24-hour book loans when, for the whole class, there was only one book for everybody. It was out of print, and you had 24 hours to read. And I said, I was returning the book, but I'm here. And then they went, ah, Jim, you're returning a book on the Lord's Day. And I had planned this through in my mind. I I thought I had him beat, and I said, well, hold on a second. I didn't actually read the book or study or crack it open in any way, so no studying on the Sabbath, I'm still good. I just returned it. And they were like, oh, Jim, do you know the story of the peat farmers in the old time? And I was like, I have a sinking feeling that I'm going to be told the story about the peat farmers in the old time starting right now. And this old Scottish pastor said, Jim, peat farming in the peat bogs is very difficult. But what the peat farmers would do on Saturday is they would do twice as much farming and roll up the peat bogs so that on Sunday they could rest. And then the pastor concluded, does the library accept books for return on Saturday? And at that point, I sort of wanted to say, I'm sorry, did Scotland win World War II? I I noticed that we're we're not serving sauerkraut for dinner today. You're welcome, America. But I saw their point. So it was a really serious Sabbath-keeping environment. But here's the thing. For that semester, I got more rest and better grades than I'd ever gotten before. And I realized that not only my study rhythms and habits, but my party rhythms and habits got a lot better as well. And I was so enamored of Sabbath keeping as it related to studying. Now granted, some TV and sports watching and some internet may have crept in over the years, but for the rest of my junior year and my senior year and my seminary, and more or less to this day, I try in my own way to keep a Sabbath and find some rest. And so here's the working irony for us this morning. Ask the average person, should you keep Sabbath? Uh, no, that sounds archaic and old-fashioned, too religious, legalistic, maybe backwards, maybe bad, but meanwhile, we are completely overworked and exhausted as a culture. I was talking to a friend recently who is opining, man, man. Because of work at home now, it's accelerated, all of my coworkers are always on, whether it's email or text or Slack. So I feel like I always have to be on. I'm never off work. And I saw this transition in real time with my dad. My dad was a software engineer at a small engineering firm in New Orleans. When I was really young growing up, he would be the, take home the briefcase at the end of the day, leave it by the door, then, not do any work, and after breakfast, pick up that briefcase that was left by the door, and go back into work. I would say, "Daddy, why do you bring the briefcase home?" And he would say, "Shut up, kid! You bot." That's how my dad would talk. "Shut up, kid! You bother me." But then there was a shift midway through when I was growing up, and it sounded like this: That was the modem. And when that started, my dad literally had a 10-pound Toshiba laptop that he brought home, so he, too, was never off-duty. And to the present day, yesterday I was reading an article written recently about how the ax slap continues to dissolve the line between work-life balance. We're all like sharks who are sleeping with one eye open, says the research designer. Never fully invested or leisure or in work. The problem with that state, this designer said, other than the fact that it is completely exhausting, is that it doesn't even give us containers to figure out who we are when we're not working, because we're always working. And so this fall at Liberty Collings, what is, we're digging into the book of Genesis and the Represence Initiative that Eric was just talking about a little bit. We've been talking about some hard stuff. I get it, and I feel the weight of that. How does this one feel? God commands you to rest. Now, we're going to talk about this more in just a moment. Should we keep Sabbath per se? Not necessarily. But then still, kind of yes. To find rhythms whereby you regularly can disengage from work and rest and recenter and refocus on Jesus to get recharged, to run back into your labors again. Rest takes work. It takes discipline, but it's a grace to us. As we keep Sabbath, we are able to reconnect with our Creator and find renewal in our Redeemer. So three parts, Christians keeping Sabbath for the rest of the sermon here this morning. We're going to talk about some biblical roots. We're going to talk about why we need it, and then we're going to talk about how to do it. So roots, why we need it, how to do it. Roots and shoots. And snips or something like that. So biblical roots of biblical rest and keeping Sabbath. Here in Genesis chapter 2, the beginning of it, we have reached the conclusion of the symphony of creation. There's been so much life as lights are made and colors explode and all of the living creatures on the ground and in the seas are teeming with life. We get here to a quiet conclusion to the symphony but it ends with more than just a whimper. There's some bang here, too, as all of this is wrapped up. There's a callback, Genesis 2:1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like a good inclusio, if you know what I mean. And then there are repetitions here that finalize the fact conc- that creation is coming to a conclusion. Seventh day repeated three times. On the seventh day, God finished all the work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day, so God blessed the seventh day. And twice it's emphasized, on this day, God rested. And it's set off as well because this day is not like any of the others. There's this pattern for the seven days of creation, three and three, where the first three days are mirrored by the second three days of creation, there's a correspondence between day one and day four, and then day two and day five, day three and day six. But this day is on its own. And if we saw the pattern up until this point with all the six days, after God made a lot of good stuff, and God saw that it was good, and it was evening and it was morning the first day or the second day and so on. different formula here with day three. He didn't say that it was good, although it was. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And this is the basis of the biblical Sabbath. Does the word Sabbath occur here in Genesis chapter 2? One of those again, kind of no, but kind of yes. Because do you want to know what the word for rest is in ancient Hebrew? Shabbat, which is related to Sabbath. And the number seven also has its same word root, Sabbath, Shabbat, seven. It is built into the fabric of the ancient Israelite understanding of life, the universe, and everything. And so when we find in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments being given, keeping Sabbath is commandment number four. Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is also within your gates. Everybody and everything. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, here's a callback to our passage, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, should you keep the Sabbath? And I'm not going to go into great detail here, but you can email in to postsundayblues at gmail.com if you want some discussion on that on the podcast for this coming week. I would call it strict Sabbatarianism within the church, a venerable hyperconservatism. So I have nothing but love. For that tradition but theologically and biblically as we think about the relationship between jesus and old testament law i don't think that it's required again per se but i'll just say if you ever get in a conversation with christian sabbatarians they're going to know their stuff a lot better than you average joe and jane christian hey you know people who follow jesus don't need to keep sabbath the Sabbatarians are Joel and Bede playing one-on-one basketball against you. And with their biblical arguments, they're not only going to dunk on you a lot, they're going to take you and dunk you into the hoop so your little non-Sabbatarian little baby arms and legs are dangling out from, from the front of the hoop. So that, that's, that's going to be real. So even though we don't necessarily need to keep Sabbath in the strict sense, I think, we absolutely still need to keep it and find ways built into our weeks, our days, our months, so that rest is regular for us as God commands. Because the Sabbath says profound things about God and about us. Profound things about God. In this Genesis story here, we worship a God who is confident enough to rest, who is confident enough, he doesn't need to because he's out of gas, but to take rest from all of this creative work and just enjoy. This speaks to God's power and his generosity, because as you cross-compare creation stories to other ancient Near Eastern creation myths, those other gods, they'll take some rests. But when they take rest, they make sure that the human beings are keeping creation going, because creation isn't well-built enough to be sustained by the gods alone. And when the gods are resting, it's for the human beings to keep serving the gods and their needs. Totally different here in Genesis. Our God rests, and so do his creatures. Because God has made creation in such a way so powerfully that he's able still to sustain it mysteriously, even in his rest. And our God, the living Lord, is pleased to share his creative bounty of a good creation with all of us. On this day, our God is generous as well. And being able to keep Sabbath says profound things about us as human beings, too. It's an expression of faith as we think about our own work. At the end of the day, I am not trusting in my own performance and my own productivity. I can take a break because that's not what's keeping all of this going around me anyway. One writer has put it this way about us keeping Sabbath. When we keep Sabbath, By resting from our labors, we acknowledge that our life is sustained by God. We rest from our labors because we know that our hope is in the Lord, not our labors. Sabbath rest also reflects our larger hope in the Lord for the sustenance of creation, for the completion of redemption. And it's a witness. As we live in the midst of an unbelieving world, there was one commentator in particular that thought about Sabbath keeping in Babylon. Jewish people, when they were exiled, the kingdom of Judah, into Babylon all of those years ago. Some of you might know the story of Daniel, who in Babylon prayed to God all of those times a day and was arrested for it. But more generally, this commentator was saying, scholars think that Israelites did their best in Babylon to keep Sabbath. And think about that witness. We are refugees. We've been taken into a different world, a different country, with a different religion, with a different ruler. But we are ceasing from our labors to say you are not the ruler of us. We are still serving in our rest, the living Lord. And keeping Sabbath is a deep renunciation of self-rule and others' rule. Other people, as powerful as they might be, other systems, other structures, you are not the boss of me. I'm not even the boss of myself. I am keeping Sabbath as we reflect our creator's joy and enjoy the creation that our creator has given to us. A Jewish rabbi from last century, Abraham Heschel, said this, The Sabbath is a day on which we are called upon to share what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. And think about this as well. Going back to the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, it's not just the higher-ups that are called to keep Sabbath, it's everybody, the maidservant and the manservant, the sojourner. And so when you keep Sabbath and actually seek to help others keep Sabbath too, you are subverting exploitation and inequality It's not just for the majority culture. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for the powerful. It's not just for the privileged. It's for everybody as we model in our faith communities keeping Sabbath together. Here is a glimpse of a true world of human flourishing under God. So if you think, ah, Sabbath keeping, that's just this legalistic old school thing maybe you think again. So those are some biblical roots. And then also, why we should keep it? We should keep it for a couple different reasons, contextually, biologically, and spiritually. Again, why should we keep Sabbath? Because we are so exhausted, and we're so divided all the time. When I took my sabbatical, it was nice, a couple of years ago, one of the books that I read was a book called Wholeheartedness by a pastor and writer named Chuck DeGroat, who said in the book that this book came from the fact that I could never rest. He put it this way. True rest was something I didn't know how to do. I could stop my usual activities. I could watch a football game on a Sunday afternoon. I could even take a nap. But these things could not and would not stop the frenzied interactivity that continued incessantly. In my divided soul, true rest didn't even have a fighting chance. Here are some things that conspire to steal our rest and they are afoot all the time all around us cheating and binging in screens cheating okay say you're married and you say okay i'm just going to take the laptop into bed and work on a few emails here or you're having dinner with friends out but you're still checking your phone because a slack channel is still going with work that you absolutely need to do you say, okay, I'm not going to work when I'm taking a vacation, but I got this call the day before, and so I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to do a little bit work here. We cheat all the time. So if you're an Eagles fan on Thursday night, you should have been hate-watching the, the Colts with Carson Wentz, hoping that he would do horribly. But you had this call with California that you were on, so you couldn't devote your full, restful attention to hate-watching Carson Wentz, and so on. And then also when we binge... When we rest, our binging prevents us from truly resting. When we rest too hard, or in unhealthy ways. I've been working so hard, so I'm just gonna get totally drunk tonight. Whether it's drugs or alcohol. Or why would I watch a couple shows of this Netflix series that I really like and be in bed at a decent hour when I could watch all of them? And get to bed at 5 a.m., and then wake up on Monday morning for work a couple hours later and be completely exhausted. So it's the cheating, it's the binging, and then screens. Let's, as a community of faith, in a non judgmental way, in safe spaces, talk about how screens steal our rest. You know, all of those neurologists, they've migrated from Atlantic City and Las Vegas to Silicon Valley where it used to be it was the slot machines, where real scientists would talk to the gambling people and say, this is the exact amount of times where people need to win a little bit, but not a lot, so that the dopamine can be released in regular intervals, so that every once in a while they say, hey, I've been here four hours, I should probably do something else. The dopamine stream is going in such a way that I'll say just a little bit longer. Apps now have those same neurologists saying, Here's what you need to do to make your app as addictive as possible. So even when on the surface, oh, I'm not doing any work right now, I'm just resting, your brain is still firing. And isn't there a hubris built in to how we're just trained to tell other people I'm crazy busy? How you doing? Oh, crazy busy, you know how it is. There's a pridefulness and an embarrassment, I think, if we'd say we're actually not busy. Say you're at a party with somebody. Hey, how how have you been doing? And that other person says, I'm really bored. I haven't been doing anything right now. You'd start to get a little sweaty, right? And nervous and say, like, I'm talking to a sociopath. I have found this serial killer. We're going to go check this person's freezer for human heads because I don't know what to make of somebody that's not doing enough stuff with his or her her life all the time. So there's a hubris built into it and a social pressure such that we're never present with anything. We're not present in our work. We're not present in our rest. It's no coincidence that this is a season of re presence initiative where we're actually fighting against the cultural tie to say, wherever I am, that's where I will be. I will be present in all of the different spaces in which God has created me and provided that I be in, so that when I'm working, I'm working. When I'm resting, I'm resting. When I'm with friends, I'm with friends. When I'm with family, I'm with family. When I'm enjoying a meal, I'm enjoying a meal. When I'm praying, I'm praying. When I'm reading the scriptures, I'm reading the scriptures. That's why we're doing a whole module about how to keep Sabbath better because we are so bad at it. Then biologically, not getting enough sleep is torture. Literally, says I and the Geneva Conventions. When I was in my 20s, we lived in West Philly, And there was a sleep deprivation study that, as a poor graduate student, I was thinking, hey, I could make some easy money with this. But when I got the interview call, I was like, you can't pay me enough money. And literally, it is torture, according to the Geneva Conventions, to not let people get enough sleep. A little sleep is not enough. You have to hit REM at regular intervals. And whether it's biologically with human beings or plants, if you're going to be fruitful, you need to be fallow. If you're going to be fruitful fully, you need to be fallow, to lay fallow for a season and not do anything so that when you're on, you are recharged to be truly on. And also when we Sabbath, we connect with our creator. So there's a spiritual component to this as well, not just with our creator, but with our redeemer. Bible scholars for generations have been intrigued by how when the Ten Commandments are repeated, you get them first in Exodus chapter 20 in the Hebrew Scriptures, again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's basically a copy and paste. Same Ten Commandments, except for the reason for keeping the Sabbath has been changed a little bit. And not like contradictory change, but another level has been added to it. So originally, keep the Sabbath because on the seventh day, God rested from his creation. He blessed the day and and called it holy. Holy. But then again in Deuteronomy, Keep the Sabbath, because you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day, because God redeemed you. Yahweh brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And so how much more For us, the center of the Christian story, you have been redeemed from the slavery of sin and death and the devil through the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of God, who in his dying and rising again became Lord and King over all things, who paid the penalty for sin on the cross and said, My victory is your victory, and I give you grace so that the judgment is not for you to receive. I have received it for you. Here is forgiveness and renewal and renovation. When we sabbath... In Jesus, we connect with that Jesus. And the rest that we need as embodied souls is at that deepest level of who we are. Verses that we talk about a lot here at Liberty Collingswood. This Christ who said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light contextually, biologically, spiritually, rest. Now how do we do it? It takes work, like I said. It takes discipline. And I would say start small and use intentional discipline to build it out. Almost 20 years ago now, a writer and a journalist named Judith Shulevitz, who was a a Jewish person ethnically but didn't really practice Jewish faith, As an adult, she wrote in the New York Times, a newspaper in New York, saying, hey, this was totally foreign to me, but I actually started keeping Sabbath, and it was really good for me. I've enjoyed her writing since then as well. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. That is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. Jim, don't return that book on the Sabbath. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the Sabbath insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by sanction. Build some rhythms of rest into your life long enough that it actually begins to hurt a little bit. And you feel it. You're brought into spaces of conscious choice where you say, I am going to keep resting and not tend to that fire that's going on over there. And maybe if you've started to do a little bit of Sabbath, maybe it's time for you to take your Sabbath ship out of the kiddie pool, actually bring it out into the ocean, and let real work waves crash against it so that the hull will remain intact. How do you practice Sabbath? And I would say when you practice Sabbath, build some spiritual rhythms. If your Sabbath is only golf and spa, you know, maybe you'll get a better swing and great skin. But make sure there's a spiritual component to that. Understand, too, how screens take it away. And here's a conundrum even that we've been talking about in our home meeting. I'm in the Chan group. How screens are great, but it's sort of like a can't live with them, can't live without them thing. There are some really great apps for spiritual practices on our phones, But the whole conundrum is that it's on our phones, and I don't have an answer to that. But let's be a community that's actually talking to each other about how to appropriate screens well in our lives. And if you're somebody who's not sure where you are with Christian faith, I would say let Sabbath-keeping be an on-ramp to actually exploring Christianity. How on earth are you going to get a sense for whether the living Lord is real, for example, if you're crazy busy all the time? And if you're somebody who's struggling with faith? are saying, I'm not sure if all of this is real to me. If you're in a crazy, busy cycle, you're actually inadvertently blocking out at a deeper experience of who God is. Come back to Sabbath and find the Jesus that you need there. Speaking of need, we need community for this. Sabbath intentions that are only practiced individually are like those joining the gym for New Year's. You'll go a couple of weeks and then you stop. We need each other. For accountability, confessing our idols. Hey, what idols are built in to our not resting enough? We need accountability. We also need creativity and help. Where, hey, this, this, this takes more than just me. So spouses, families, friends, in your workspaces, how do you help each other keep Sabbath better? And this is where I'll wrap up. We need to keep Sabbath with an eye towards the disadvantaged and the less privileged as well. Over the years, recently, I've listened to a couple of podcasts about building rest into one's life, and in more than one case, I've been listening to these podcasts and thinking like, okay, I'm hearing this person, the captain of a Fortune 500 company, and and they're saying, yes, I've done this really hard thing of starting to build Sabbath into my life. I am now only working every other week, while in the intervening weeks, I'm in the Swiss Alps. It took a lot of courage to get there. Took a lot of work with my administrative existence to build up a communication pattern where I don't have to be on text and email. My executive assistant, I, I taxed this person to work with all of my project managers. And getting a nanny who will be full time every other week while I'm in the Swiss Alps was really difficult. And my, my gardener, it took extra work who now sends me pictures of the gardening. And I found a millennial for my fermenting and canning projects. So I didn't have to be on and on. And it's like, You are so brave by being able to take a Sabbath. And if you have resources where it's a little bit easier for you to build some rest rhythms, I'm not saying to be guilty or ashamed about it, but I am saying pay it forward. How can you help other people that are not in the same boat? Sabbath keeping is harder, for example, for a single mom, or a parent with disabilities, or an immigrant, or a low-wage worker. Here's something. It's, it's possible for me to be off of my work email and work text, by and large, every weekend. And I'm really grateful for that. But do you know what calls I don't get? My boss calls and says, hey, Jim, this is out of my hands, but church has to be on Saturday today, and I'm going to need you to preach all day on Saturday. So far, that's never happened. So I have a job that doesn't require me to be connected all the time. Pastorally, I'm pretty much on duty, but with a lot of other church stuff, I can take Sabbath and rest. Not everybody can. So how can you pay your Sabbaths forward? That's our mission, living, speaking, and serving as the very presence of Jesus. How can you not only yourself, Kathleen's introduction to the confession of sin was great, not only for yourself in case it would turn selfish, but for others. Spread Sabbath. And it's its own witness as well. Being a non-anxious presence in a culture of anxiety means we've got to rest and Sabbath well. Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.